Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I'm Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Hey, I'm uh, Ivan Butina. I'm a knowledge management specialist uh, currently working with the UNICEF out of headquarters in New York. I'm a knowledge management specialist. I've been doing this for eight years now but I also have a history in uh, social and political activism and also I'm very much interested in uh, leadership development, a field that I'm getting uh, increasingly engaged to. My passion is really working with young people, youth. Uh, that's really what inspires me and energizes me the most. A little background about my personal history. I actually was born in Bosnia-Herzegovina, Sarajevo, the city and place I had to leave because of the war in 92. I was eight years old. I moved to Italy with my mother back then as a refugee, and that's where I grew up until I moved to the U.S. for my master's degree. And this is where I developed myself as a professional and as an adult. You are a citizen of the planet. Yep. You come from multiple cultural and ethnic backgrounds. How does that add value, do you think, in your work and knowledge management? It, it's important because knowledge, as we always say, it's, it's something that flows, right? It's something that stays with people. And people, by definition, are different. We're different as individuals, but also, of course, we have other identity components, one of which is culture or, uh, you know, and anything that makes us our culture identity, like language, religion, habits to have been developed over centuries or decades. I still kind of like struggle to define myself as a citizen of the planet because I actually lived only in Europe and in the US and I still haven't lived yeah. to several continents. Uh, but it's true that within my own context, like, you know, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina is a very, at least a religiously diverse country. Uh, I don't like to use the word ethnicity because I believe we are all the same there, the same people, just because of history kind of like uh, developed different uh, religious related differences. But, uh, you know, like uh, just later, uh, because of the war growing up in Italy, you know, uh, getting to know this like way of thinking, which is more Latin, uh, you know, like Southern European, and then having my dad who um, actually he moved to Belgium in the Flemish part of Belgium, which is kind of more Germanic culture way of thinking. I think being exposed from early age to like the Slavic, the Latin, and um, and the Germanic way of thinking in the European context already enabled me to to appreciate differences the way people are. Uh, and approach uh, the world in different ways. And I think this is very much related to knowledge because while it's true that the field of knowledge management has developed in, uh, I would say, in Northern America and parts of Europe, knowledge itself is all over the world. And this is, in fact, in the field of development, which is where I work. We increasingly, over the last, uh, I would say, 10 years for sure, maybe more, and, and this is accelerated, we are recognizing knowledge is not just like, it's actually, there's rich knowledge in communities that we actually... Uh, are there to serve and the contextual knowledge so on. So I think this definitely helps a little bit. Again, again I say I have so much still to learn and appreciate the differences, but working environments like the UNICEF, for example, I used to be the World Bank, definitely helps. Because you're dealing with cultural elements to which knowledge has probably a little different definition, just like organizations. They have their different ideas of what is valuable and what's not valuable and what's transferable and what should be transferable amongst the culture or the organization. What is the biggest challenge with the clients you work with? 
Are you dealing with clients outside of UNICEF or is this internal operations? For me, it's internal. So I'm uh, coordinating the knowledge management at the global level. So for the whole of UNICEF. So yeah, my, if you want to use the word clients, I support our internal staff. So they actually can have the tools, the guidance, the good practices that can adapt in their own context. Yes. But you, even if I work with them internally, I, it's important to be aware of this, right? So for example, the fact that, you know, it's not just about technical knowledge, you know, it's not just about the expertise that what the research says, what the relationship about, uh, you know, like, I feel like uh, ECD, LHR development early on, but it's also about, about contextual knowledge. For example, more and more appreciating the fact that national staff, the people who are from a country, work in a country, actually have knowledge that maybe technical expert with a PhD degree, you know, uh, might not have. So it's really being aware that is important, even if I don't work with uh, communities uh, directly right now. So how do you get the culture to share? How, how does UNICEF plant the seeds of propagating more sharing across and within the organization? I, I find that UNICEF, this isn't just my personal experience, but we don't have much of a culture of, for example, if we want to talk about the opposite, which is knowledge hoarding, I think it's a pretty, if I may use the word, chilled culture, right? <laughs> uh, which is, it's, it's I, and maybe because UNICEF is, has a reputation of being an organizational doers, being more in the field, uh, is, is kind of atypical for the, let's say, the UN uh, environment. I mean, we also have our own bureaucracies, et cetera. But um, that's what I was wondering. You, you know, you're, you're kind of saying words that could describe an anti-bureaucratic or exactly. autocratic structure where you've got administrators, you know, running channels and divisions and containers of people and process. And we have that. Uh, okay. We have that. Okay. But I think it always depends which uh, where you come from. I think compared to other, for example, agents, organizations in the field, we probably are a little bit less. Uh, uh, there is, I don't think so much about structures because we have in my opinion, still very heavy structures, but I think it's more about the culture of the people. I haven't seen so much an issue in knowledge sharing. It's really more, we have, I think, many organizations like a problem of overflow of information, too much uh, production of, you know, documents, especially explicit mm. knowledge, uh, codified knowledge. And so really, and people being like really also busy in, in developing, uh, in implementing the programs, the projects, et cetera, et cetera. It's really more the issue of finding time to, to access the knowledge they need and using it. But I think knowledge sharing is not a barrier, barrier in our context. It's more like selecting and using. So it almost sounds like your, your organization may be really ripe for developing a business intelligence cell that can start the analysis and extraction of all this content is that does that fall into the knowledge management realm now this is a discuss yeah this is a we have fascinating discussions about all this because unicef i've been there only two years so i i still see it kind of like from a little bit of external point of view but it's an organization that has invested a lot uh, from what i'm um, uh, gathering in the past years so-called evidence functions you know making sure we have a research capacity making sure we have data collection analysis capacity uh, you know, making sure we have a strong evaluation function. Those are the so-called all program monitoring functions. These are all like so-called evidence generation functions. But then, okay, once you collect and generate the evidence, how do you transform that into to programs? Like how do you close the feedback loop and how to make sure that they're used? Right. And let's not forget, it's not only about evidence, it's also about experiential knowledge, like we said earlier. What the knowledge number has, there's not necessarily in the report and research on the data that we collect. So let's yeah. not forget that. So I see this, my personal opinion, but it's a discussion we had in the knowledge management is a connector of all these evidence functions 
and is a connector with the other sources of knowledge like tacit knowledge, implicit knowledge, and is what enables all this evidence and knowledge to be actually implemented in programs. So we are the connection between, I think, the, the work, the programs, the projects, and the sources of evidence and knowledge. So this is how I see uh, KM, but you're right. We are right because the audience have invested a lot in the past in this evidence generation. Yeah. Well, that's an exciting place to be, right? Because that that sets you up for a great world of expansion and added value. If we go back to the value of what you're doing and what's being done for the organization, if you've already got a culture that is already okay with the cross-pollination of thought, ideas, conversation, but it's still a structure that's pretty set in stone, so to speak. This element of what knowledge management could help provide as a return on investment of all this research and data, because to me, the data in the collection of data is the easiest thing to do. That's like storage and taxonomies and things like that is like a foundational piece. But if that's all you've done is built the foundation, okay, now what? You know, that, that only serves a certain amount of customers, so to speak. But in, in an organization I used to work in the military intelligence, there was a thing that was called OBE. Mm-hmm. OBE is uh, overcome by events. You get such a flood of reports and data and information and all these things that eventually you just become overwhelmed and stuff gets on the floor. I mean, stuff just lands on the floor because you just don't have time to consume it and understand it. So that is a critical piece. It's a critical piece that is exciting because it is entrepreneurial, right? You get to figure out and be part of that. So is there anybody in leadership that has, you say you have had discussions? So where has that fallen? What What's the future? Uh, so this is an uh, interesting thing. You know what we're doing in knowledge management, and is is a is a function that does not have prominence. Is a function that you know we have only. I think UNICEF has between thirty three and thirty five staff in an organization of fifteen thousand, and most of these are people like uh, myself who are in headquarters and regional offices. A few in country offices. UNICEF is has this very decentralized structure with offices all over the world, and you know like KM knowledge itself doesn't have prominence. However. You use the key word, which is entrepreneurial, and this is what we have done over the past two years. Saying, okay, we have, we don't have uh, the the prominence. You know, we're not uh, have not been the priority as a KM in the past years. However, being under the radar sometimes also allows you to to be able to do things without having to ask too many permissions, right? And do good stuff, right? Experiment and try and pilot. Right, right. And uh, I have to say that um, sometimes you need. Uh, entrepreneurial spirit you need to seize opportunities but also you need to supportive leadership where it matters so i don't need necessarily like the top top management to be supportive but you know if you have a supervisor if you have a manager if you have a director right above you who are supportive that's enough and if you have a network and a community to work with which is energetic that's a good thing about our one network because yes we might have only 33 stuff but guess what we have a network of 700 plus stuff they might have different titles, but they will all engage KM. And like we always say, KM is not that it's everyone's job because sometimes when you say that, it can mean Noel's job. And what we are saying is that everyone has a real role to play with it, you know? And I don't care how much many, how many stuff yeah. KM would have. I mean, of course, if we had more stuff, I'd be happier. But even if you don't have more KM positions, as long as it's a function that's embedded in people's work and everyone has a role to play, 
in a meaningful way, then yes, that's fine. It's not about imposing KM. I always say people kill KM as a KM, but, but if we keep doing it, I'm still happy. So it's not about recognizing KM, it's about adding the value of KM, then call it whatever you want. That's my personal opinion that I developed over the past years. It is amazing the amount of people in the world that would just as soon lose the terminology of knowledge management because it it has some baggage with it and it has misconceptions with it and it, it has a almost a little bit of what I want to say is like a passing paradigm or a passing business item that people like, oh yeah, well, we did that a couple of years ago. We're not going to do that again. Kind of like a transitory way of doing business. But don't you think that's changed? You're aware of the knowledge management ISO standard for knowledge management? I think it's a, you know, this is a question has come up, a, not a lot, but it has come up when you ever set to discuss KM in, a, in, a, in an organization like uh, is, and people from outside might ask, well, how much this definition of standards by ISO is important. In the end, uh, you know what? The people in your organization don't really care so much. And honestly, even when I thought at the beginning, like we just developed our strategy, I thought at the beginning, let's just like, you know, use leverage this. This was supposed to, ISO definition was supposed to do, help organizations, help uh, practitioners say, hey, this is a serious thing. We have standards. But you know what? In the end, I'm a very practical, pragmatic person. People in, in a specific organization, maybe it's different, different contexts, but in my experience so far, and I'm not talking about Unison, but also other experience I have, they care only about the, the added value you give in the context you're at. They don't care about standards or, or whatever research you can bring, uh, maybe worse in different cultures, but in this case, it does not add that much value. In fact, what we did in the end, what really helps us is have our own definition of knowledge management, have our own definition uh, understanding of knowledge management uh, that works for us. And that's what matters in the end because it's all about adding values, all about improving uh, our uh, effectiveness, about making sure that whatever we do, actually we have access to, to knowledge and experience that we need, uh, that we keep learning and improving and adapting. I mean, and that's about it. And if we can find our definition and that help us do that, so we're on the same page, we do the same things, we don't have different understanding, then the, the job is done, yeah. So tell me, what's the definition of knowledge management, my friend? So it's very simple. It's, uh, we define knowledge management as the, the set of uh, practices that uh, we put in place to capture, uh, organize, uh, share, and use knowledge to achieve results and uh, for children and advance their rights. That's it. Very simple, four steps. You know, there are different steps in knowledge cycle, which was four to simplify it. And it has to be about achieving results, advancing rights for children. That's it. So how does this get embedded or aligned to the strategic view of the organization? Right now, what we're doing, we have a medium-term strategy. And this is uh, about setting, I call it kind of like filling in the gaps. It's not that I call it, we call this in strategy, filling in the gaps uh, that we currently have globalized organization KM, right? So what are we doing over the next two years? We already started is creating a bunch of public goods, whether it's tools, templates, guidance, uh, platforms, a couple of platforms like a KM Hub, external knowledge sharing platform, and a learning program. So we can start developing staff capacity that will enable us to develop this can capacity overall needed to align with the next strategic plan of UNICEF because now UNICEF is developing its new strategic plan. So the, then after these two years, as we kind of like cover the basics of KM because this is our first global KM strategy. Then the next strategy will be aligned with the new strategic plan where we say, okay, let's use all this 
public goods we had developed that we had piloted because we do piloting of them in country offices in particular, then actually to advance the goals of the organization. And that's where we're going to align in the next strategy. So this has been intentional. Right now, let's focus on building the basics and then later we're going to align. Uh, but, you know, in the pilots already, we'd already be aligning because when you had to use these tools and guidance and, and templates, skills development, of course, in the office, you have to do it aligned with your office goals and organization goals. So that's important. Well, I'm interested to ask is in the global footprint that you affect as an organization, is there a specific continental or citizenry base, cultural base, regional base that is more adaptable to knowledge management versus others? Have you seen a difference in the application of knowledge management practices and behaviors dependent upon region? Yes, but I'm not, I think it's, I don't know if I wouldn't be able to say if it's because of cultures or if it's because of personalities or, you know, the, the organizational culture in that region, right? Because maybe UNICEF has developed in a specific region its own culture that has nothing mm. to do with the country, ethnic, uh, human cultural element. But uh, definitely there are differences. I mean, you can see that there's more appetite and interest in some regions versus others, some countries that are others, as we have this wide network. But uh, it would be honestly like, it, it, yeah, it would be just a guess uh, thinking, is it why? You know, is it uh, because of specific leadership, because certain people have left a footprint, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'll challenge you and your organizational impact of knowledge management. I think that would be a good to know. Not a nice to know, but a good to know, because you are dealing in knowledge flow. In my experience, there are certain cultures that are just, I hate to say better, but there are some cultures that are just more adaptable to doing storytelling and sharing information and sharing knowledge versus others. And I'm always interested to find out what are the, what are the mechanics under the hood, so to speak, of why. Because it could give you some leverage to know, oh, we're going to this part of the world. Well, we need to adjust uh, a little bit to adapt to that culture. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I'm just curious if it would have to play into uh, a strategic view, I would think, when you're dealing with such a world-connected organization. Absolutely. No, that's, that's an excellent point. However, the, the two elements there, one is like interacting with the civil society and the communities and so on. And I do believe I totally agree with you. Like, for example, if we were to uh, advise an office that is a certain country and region versus a different one, definitely that will be part of the conversation. So, you know, who do you work with? What is the, the culture of the government? There? What is the culture of society there? What is the cultural communities? You know, some can approach it, my work there and some others not. And we need to choose the right ones. Luckily, not, we have a huge menu of approaches, uh, you know, thanks to our, you know, like larger camp for development community that we're all part of, right? So, but choosing the right approach, I think that's where the culture is so important. Because something that, uh, you know, like uh, might work in, uh, in a country like Nigeria might not necessarily work in a country like India, vice versa. So that's yes. But, but the, the culture of the offices, and this is where probably the bureaucracy come in and the hierarchy is very much affected by its own organizational specific cultures, not UNICEF, but specifically the office. And plus on top of that personality of the, the manager of that office, right? And that's where, you know, some people are more like process oriented. You know, tell me what to do, how to do it, and we're just going to implement it. Some people more like have a conversation, do storytelling. And that's when you can be, I don't know, in Senegal, or you can be 
in Malaysia, it doesn't matter. The point is, uh, if the, that office has a culture that's a certain way, and a manager who is a certain way, you know, that office internally has to do things according to that or its own culture. So yeah, those are the two layers. But I agree with you. If you interact with the outside communities, yes, the country context specific culture is important. Yeah. I mean, one thing, I, and this is, I don't know what your impression is, but being plugged uh, for sub, several years now in the general like camp for development community, what's interesting to me, I said earlier how KM, my observation is, is really has been stronger so far in, in Northern America and in certain European countries, say the UK, the Netherlands, the Germany, for example, very weak in Italy, in the Balkans. I don't know if even people know what KM is, like very few, probably Italy is the same. However, I've seen a flourishing of KM in, in the regions of Africa, for example, the African continent, especially Kenya, I have an impression it's become a really a KM hub. But also in Western Africa, Southern African countries, I think that's a continent that's really, from camp point of view, I feel that is basically becoming like kind of North America and parts of Europe in terms of like development of KM. So that's something that will be interesting, for example, to explore. Well, thank you for sharing your experience and your understanding of that world of knowledge management and the work you do. This was extremely informative. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Adam. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.